We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Man, if we swap with the Philadelphia 76ers right now, we should be one of the top seeds in the East. We just got the wood over them, Nick. Yes, 2-1, and one, you know, a third straight win for the Nets, but 2-1 and one against the Sixers this season. The other loss coming on a Jimmy Butler 3, one tonight, 127-124. And make sure you check out the buzz. Give us any type of support on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But, Jack, let's break this one down. Yeah, Nick, so how did it all end up? But Spencer did what he big night. Was that the sort of key reason for the win? Yeah, he was cooking. He was cooking. This is maybe my favorite Spencer Dinwiddie game ever. 39 points, obviously career high, 11 of 18 from the field, 4 or 6 from 3, 13 of 14 from the free throw line. Some of that came with, uh, you know, garbage time free throws at the end when the Sixers are trying to get it close. Five assists, but complete control. Nobody on Philly really could defend Spencer at all. And Philly didn't do a great job. you think they would have put Ben Simmons on the entire game, but they did not. J.J. Redick, T.J. McConnell, you know, uh, Corksmoss got switched on him. He even took – when Embiid got switched on him too, he took him to the rim. Spencer was in his bag tonight, very confident. You felt like every shot was going in. Yeah, I mean, the guy is earning that contract. He's sort of putting it on Sean Marks now. Um, if you're Sean Marks, Nick, we're probably going to ask this consistently until Spencer does get that uh, contract proposal. Is it almost um, remiss of him not to offer it? Is it almost negligent not to offer the contract to a guy who is playing so well that he is more than exceeding a $12 million contract? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something to consider unless Sean Marks has some really big plans and he wants to keep that flexibility. But at this point in time, signing him to that deal of four years, $47.5 million, just makes a lot of sense, especially if he's going to win six man of the year. And right now he's on pace to either win it or finish top three. And any team I think in the league would take him at $12 million a year. 
So I, I'm not sure what Sean Marks is thinking. I wouldn't be surprised they offer the deal. Who knows? There could be smaller details they're trying to work out. Incentives or small things like that in the contract. They could already be in talks like we've talked about. The Nets keep everything very close, and I would not be surprised if Spencer signs it by the end of 2018. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a nice way to end the year for him, a nice way to, for the Nets to sort of bring some momentum in the new year as well. Uh, I, I think the people who are sort of a, a little more, less objective about the sort of Nets might start calling up and calling for Sean Marks and going, okay, when's it going to happen? Because if it doesn't happen sooner rather than later, then it's almost a, a bad business decision in terms of, you know, what he is doing for the Nets right now. You know, he deserves to be wearing the black and white long term. Yeah, especially if it gets to the point where he's playing so well that he's like, you know what, I'm going to take my chances on the open market. You know, he's going to hit on restricted free agents. Somebody might offer him a big deal, especially, you know, we know how important point guards in the league. So I think it would almost make sense to kind of get it done. Also, shout out Spencer, who did a solid job on defense tonight. A couple great, uh, great defensive efforts chasing a J.J. Redick around the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, he's probably one of the hardest guys to guard in the NBA. So to hear Spencer, you know, have such uh, a solid night on that end, We've seen a lot of like improvements from a lot of our guards, especially in the absence of uh, Spencer Dimity. But speaking of uh, defense and a, a major sort of sticking point for, for our guy, D'Angelo Russell, um, how is he tonight? Obviously, 22 minutes, it was Spencer's night, but uh, I think a lot of people always want to see how D'Angelo went. Yeah, I don't think D'Angelo was bad tonight. I think it was more so Spencer was cooking and he just was in control. And sometimes when D'Angelo's in there and Spencer are playing together, they take each other out of rhythm. So maybe that's what Kenny was thinking. Also, in the early in the fourth quarter, there was a defensive effort type of play against TJ McConnell, where McConnell kind of got under the rim and ended up getting an easy layup. So I thought that had something to do with the benching. But most of it, I think, was just Spencer playing well. Like, you know, Spencer was playing one of his best games of his career. Yeah, I mean, when that is happening, you know, I think a lot of uh, people earlier in the season when Spencer was sort of closing games ahead of D'Angelo Russell, you know, the questions were, why isn't D'Lo out there? He's the guy that we're sort of building for the future for. We know what Spencer is, so to speak. We need to give D'Angelo Russell the room to improve, the room to make the mistakes. Um, So tonight it was just more of that, I guess. Nick, was it more so that, you know, Spencer earned that right and sort of D'Angelo just had to take a back seat? Yeah, I think it was Spencer just earned the right to play. It was just similar. And, you know, looking at another front, a similar situation, Jared Allen's always playing more minutes than Ed Davis. Tonight we saw Kenny make the adjustment, all the people coming for his head, made the adjustment where he played Ed Davis 29 minutes, Jared Allen only 16 because Davis was able to match up with Embiid. Jared Allen got in early foul trouble. He just could not handle Embiid inside. I don't know if it was energy effort level or just, you know, Embiid has played him two times already this season, kind of knows he can body him every play. I mean, Embiid is an MVP contender. You know, yeah. spoken about on JB. Best center in the NBA, probably right now. Yeah, I mean, if wherever you classify Anthony Davis, but I think because Embiid has been far more healthy this season, which is funny to say. Um, but yeah, he's an absolute monster, and you know, you can't fault Jared Allen necessarily. But it's going to be, you know, sort of the the thing we looked at at him last season, sort of. You know, the sticky point where is, is he going to take that next step? How is he going to go up against these bruises? Joel Embiid, you know, the centers, you know, are sort of taking over the league, so to speak. So he's going to have to, you know, find his way. But to have Ed Davis on the roster right now is certainly, you know, a massive luxury. And, you know, I think a lot of guys, we, we've criticized Coach Kenny about minutes and we sort of talked about, you know, I've spoken about, I've, I've enjoyed seeing, you know, Ed Davis in those 20s and to see, you know, looking at the box score and such, like you mentioned, Nick, Ed Davis exceeding Jared Allen in minutes, you know, making the adjustments on the fly and sort of being more, you know, instinctive. You know, it's, it's we're starting to see, you know, the steps being made by, you know, Coach Kenny himself. Um, but Rodion's Nick, you know, I think a lot of fans will like to hear how his night was probably his best night uh, of the regular season. 
Yeah, I think it was his best night of the regular season. Just, you know, we talked about this already. Every time he comes in the game, you instantly feel him. It's the energy is out there. Occasionally, you'll get a mistake. You know, there was a couple turnovers tonight, especially one late in the game. But I think Rodion's is developing nicely. What he gives the Nets is somebody else on the floor that's willing to drive the ball to the rim and really isn't intimidated at the rim because he has the ability to kind of get up and over the rim. He threw down a dunk tonight, big clutch time dunk as well. He also showed off a nice spin move. I think Rodion's is well ahead of schedule. I think... He earned Kenny's trust tonight too. He played him in the fourth quarter. He played him in clutch minutes. Only 19 minutes, but I wouldn't expect to see. Him. I would expect to see him probably play, you know, 20 minutes in a couple more games, especially the rest of the month. He's just been that good where his impact is felt on the floor. The second unit in general tonight was very good, and that's where I felt like the first quarter really changed. They had some sloppy plays early on, some sloppy turnovers. Ronda had a couple of plays where he kind of just was careless with the basketball. Second unit came in, brought some toughness, brought some defensive energy brought some rebounding and they just kept working also great shooting night for joe harris and alan crab something when those both of those guys are shooting well the nets are in a great position to win yeah it's really happened this season and yeah touching on rodeons again 13 points three steals three steals which is an absolutely awesome stat that you want to see you know from your young rookie showing that energy and we know he's you know a, a weapon in that sort of sense because he always you know, he reads the game really well, especially on the offensive end, and especially when it comes to those passing lanes. He is quite long, and he has nice speed, nice pace about him. And, you know, we can't question his mentality more than any other. You know, we, uh, I think Anthony Puccio put on uh, Nets, on Nets Daily uh, the fact that, you know, he knows, you know, the first thing that he said in the press was, you know, he wants to destroy Chris Porzingis. You know, I, I feel like he has this real killer mentality that I think uh, a lot of the Nets sort of lacked somewhat. You know, I think if you're comparing it to maybe like D'Angelo Russell, he's a bit more timid. I think he's got more of that sort of Spencer Dibley mentality. He sort of wants to go out there and sort of rip out the, the opponent's throat. Uh, he's been awesome. Um, but it's nice to see him sort of exceeding, you know, Jared Dudley's minutes. We sort of talked about when was that going to happen, you know, and it was maybe only an episode or two ago. So to see that already happening, you know, I think a lot of people who, you know, again, were, were criticizing Coach Kenny for that. I think we're sort of seeing the, the team grow within itself and Coach Kenny making those adjustments and being able to make them not only, you know, by the analytics and by what the assistant coaches are telling him, but being able to go, okay, this is what's happening right now. I'm just going to roll with it and let the sort of, you know, analytics and, and the game take care of itself because it seems like the game is flowing a lot more within the team and the depth. You know, we talked about the start of the season in terms of how it would be, be a weapon for us. And then we had the lulls with the injuries and such, but it seems that depth is now starting to help us a little bit more because, like you mentioned, that those reserves are really starting to step up. Yeah, you got contributions from a lot of different players tonight. Also helped the Nets were great from three, shot 50%. You know, any night you shoot that high from three, you have a good chance of winning 14 to 28. Also, they bounce back on the boards. Early in this game, I want to say Philly was up on the boards like 11 to four with five offensive rebounds. Finished, you know, via NBA.com, 37 rebounds, 37 rebounds, 10 offensive for Philly, seven offensive for the Nets. So really didn't get killed on the boards, especially going up against a player like Joel Embiid. And that kind of, you know, it screams about the adjustment that Kenny made playing Ed Davis more because, you know, Jared Allen would have probably got beat a couple more times inside. Yeah, I think he was making an emphasis all of this week, you know, looking at all the articles coming out and all the presses that our coach Kenny was having. He's like, you know, defensive rebounding. That's what we need to hone in on. And, you know, I mentioned on one of the previous pods that, you know, defensive rebounding, field goal, field goal percentage, these sort of basic stats are generally the way you win the games in, in today's NBA despite the, the three-point revolution, how much we uh, relied on. And we did shoot well from there. But again, I think it was that's where it starts, you know, on the defensive end and, and sort of getting those boards, showing that energy. And Ed Davis sort of sets the standard, you know, across the league in that sort of sense, especially offensively. But uh, Nick, 
Uh, we saw a little bit of a trade proposal uh, on OTG account. I'd heard OTG Basketball retweeted. Do you want to tell uh, the the listeners about that one? Yeah, sir. I just actually let me touch on one more thing. Sorry, Jack, about the Philly game. Sure. The driving to the rim, playing inside out, 43 free throw attempts. You know, like I said, some of that came when the Sixers were trying to catch up, probably about, you know, 5 to 10. But they did a great job attacking the paint, not being intimidated, spreading out the Sixers, moving the ball side to side. A lot of that was Spencer Dinwiddie, but other guys like Joe Harris, even Alan Crabb mentioned Rodion's driving. So that was a great thing to see, playing inside out, getting that inside shots, getting to the free throw line really helps the offense. But getting to that trade. So in this trade scenario, the Nets would receive Contavious Caldwell-Polk, uh, Mo Wagner, Josh Jackson, a first-round pick from the Lakers. The Lakers would receive Trevor Reza, and the Suns would receive Spencer Dinwiddie and Kenneth Reed. Now, uh, the, sending this trade after the way Spencer Dinwiddie played tonight, it's very hard to seem like you would accept it. I think there's a couple things to look at when you're considering a trade like this. What can you expect from Josh Jackson? He hasn't been very successful in his first few seasons in the NBA. There was a lot of hype that he could have possibly been the best player of that draft class. You know, it doesn't seem that way like right now. Then also... Are you going to trade Dinwiddie? Is he a guy you want to keep? We talked about the contract value at four years, 47.5 mil. And then do you have faith in D'Angelo to be that starting point guard? So I think there's a lot of different variables. We also have mentioned on here before, too, the Cavs offered their first-round pick, which ended up being number 25 in the draft for Spencer last year, and they didn't take the deal. And also the Nets had interest in KCP at one point, but the -the off-the-court stuff might push them away. What were your thoughts when you saw the trade as I ramble on? Yeah, I mean, I agree with basically everything you're saying there, Nick. As soon as I saw it and sort of people saying, you know, why would the Nets not take this? The first thing that stuck out to me is that the Lakers pick is going to be around that sort of range again, you know, in the, you know, maybe late teens, you know, at best. And, you know, we've already got that sort of Denver pick, which will be around that range too. Um, So I'm not really that big of a fan of it unless... Spencer Dimity at this stage is worth at least a teens pick, you know, around that sort of 12 to 16 sort of range with the way he's playing. You know, if he was getting picked 25 uh, last season, he's gone, he's exceeded his value this season and, you know, uh, boosted it up uh, even more so. I like KCP as a player, and I think actually he would be a very nice fit um, within the Brooklyn Nets system, but I don't like giving us Spencer Dimity. That's plain and simple. And again, Mo Wagner and Josh Jackson, unproven sort of commodities. Yeah, I mean, they might be worth a flyer on, but I don't think it's worth the deal in terms of, you know, you're looking at the crux of it. What is the sort of uh, main part of this deal? It's it's losing Spencer Dimwitty. And I'm not, I don't want to lose Spencer Dimwitty. I'd much rather see him, you know, with the Nets uniform going forward because he is the best player in this deal, so to speak, you know. Uh, exactly. And, and, you know, I think most teams, you know, would probably be wanting to make a deal for Spencer Dimwitty uh, in that sort of sense. We did see... Is the Nets assistant GM Trajan Langdon? Is that his name? Correct. Yes, he was at the um, the, the Phoenix game the other night. So that sort of sent, you know, rumor mills, you know, sort of murmuring and sort of saying, what's going on here? The Nets sort of wanting to get into the Trevor Ariza sweepstakes. Are they going to be the third team that a lot of people are talking about? Now, so I think obviously the trade machine starts to swirl uh, a little bit more. You know, plenty of fans jump on Twitter, which is awesome. You know, it's part of the conversation, but... Um, I'm not as sold on it. I think, you know, I just want Spencer Dimity. Uh, it's plain and simple. I just want Spencer Dimity to be in a Nets uniform uh, for a very long term. And again, like you mentioned, Nick, if he signs the four-year $48 million deal, we can trade him then. I think a lot of other teams would happily still take him on in that sort of capacity because if your starting point guard is making less than $15 million, so say comparing to, say, like a Reggie Jackson, 
who's at about $18, $19 million. You know, George Hill was at that $18, $19 million range as, as he hits towards the end of his deal. You know, Spencer Dibbity is going to be on a bargain based on contract if we do and hopefully when we sign him. Yeah, and I think there's no issue because he's flexible being your backup point guard. And at that price, you don't really care. And I think in this trade, if the Nets were, you know, this kind of similar to the Markel Fultz we had on the last show, is that if the Nets were looking to, you know, rebuild a little bit longer and not trying to compete sooner rather than later, you know, maybe you trade them. What do you take a chance on Josh Jackson? You take a chance on Mo Wagner. But the fact is, you really don't know what you're getting. And point guards are just so valuable. And not even just point guards, playmakers, guys who can create for themselves, knock down the three-point shot, have defensive potential. You know, Dinwiddie has, you know, a two-way ability. He hasn't probably hit his defensive peak yet, but offensively, he's shown us a lot. Yeah, we need, and essentially, we need a better pick than what is being offered in that proposal. Yeah, I know that Phoenix have that Milwaukee pick that they got in the Bledsoe trade, but that is very murky and has a lot of protections on it. You know, obviously, we'd want that Lakers pick to be unprotected if it is what's to be this season. There's no way Phoenix can give up their own pick because it makes absolutely no sense because it would be. So it, I think in terms of the crux of the deal and sort of how it benefits all parties, I think it would be most beneficial to the Phoenix. It would be next most beneficial to the Lakers. And then it will be least beneficial for us. So I'm not sure Sean Marks would do it. But it is an interesting proposal. And obviously, you know, you chuck in a few seconds here and there. Maybe you make it work. But, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's balling out right now. And I don't think you trade him on the value that he is right now. I think the only other way to make this a little bit more enticing for the Nets is if you swap Alan Crabb and Kenneth Fareed. And then maybe the Nets are getting cap relief in the deal as well. Because trading Kenneth Reed just is a salary filler for them. And it doesn't really make a ton of sense. They'd rather get rid of a contract, especially when you're losing a great player. I think Phoenix isn't really giving up enough in this trade. No. And I think for, for the services of Spencer Dinwiddie, they're giving up you know, Josh Jackson, Trevor Reza. They're not giving up a first at all. And they're getting such a high value in return. And the Lakers are essentially almost giving up two firsts. Because what, Mo, well, Mo Wagner was an early second round pick. And yeah. I know they've kind of liked him as well. So it's almost like they're giving up two late firsts for Trevor Ariza, which doesn't really make sense because if they're giving up a first, they can probably get a player better than Ariza. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, Trevor Ariza is going to be traded, you know, soon enough. It, it depends on which team is, is obviously the Lakers, the number one sort of target right now. But, you know, Houston could jump in there. And, you know, the Nets seem like that sort of third team. You know, Sean Marks is certainly not going to be, you know, knocking back any phone calls when it comes to any sort of deal. If he can benefit the net somehow, you know, if it's in terms of, you know, replenishing some picks, you know, we've got a plenty this season. Um, it's going to be interesting to see because I think that deal is going to be one that is made pretty soon. And if the net's a part of it, I'm not going to be surprised. But um, there I think was Spencer... a rumor via a Suns writer. I'm not familiar with their name because obviously we're not, you know, following the Suns as closely. But they said that the Nets had no contact with the Suns about being part of that Laker trade as of right now. Yeah, um, I, I did hear that as well. I think it was on, you know, SB Nation or something like that. Um, but I'm, if you, I mean, obviously you put two and two together where you see the Nets assistant GM, you know, he might have just been scouting. Who knows? He they also been, were interested you know, in him as uh, possibly for their GM job. So that's something else to keep an eye on. Exactly. You know, I think that, you know, the history of the Nets organization and, you know, in terms of our front office, what we've done in a short span of time, you know, it'd be, you know, remiss of them not to sort of do that. So uh, he, uh, Trajan might not have just been there for, you know, just the, the trade purposes. He might have been there to say hi to James Jones and, you know, the worst owner in sports right now and Robert Sarver. Um, but Nick, any last sort of details you wanted to chuck on this one? I mean, I think the Nets are, I think 
they really might have learned from that eight-game losing streak. I actually think it might have helped the team in some weird way that only is impossible if you play in the Eastern Conference because it's so bad. And the Nets are now two games behind the eight seed with Orlando sitting in that spot. Detroit at number seven, who hasn't been great. Charlotte at number six, who hasn't been amazing either. You know, all these teams are kind of, you know, catchable in a way and the Nets have some easy games coming up I don't want to say easy but winnable games coming up they have Washington coming up that's a game they can win they have the Hawks if they take care of business win these next two games are on a five-game winning streak and we might look back at that Raptors game being a turning point for the entire season we mentioned it already my friends uh, I remember so sort of saying it that you sort of there's lots of turning points throughout the season that seemed like one of them but yeah, the Eastern Conference is certainly not the Western Conference, and that's sort of in terms of its you know depth and standards. So, but that could benefit us, you know, in the long run. And if the Nets keep playing the way that they are, who knows? We could be knocking on the playoffs sort of door. And I mentioned, you know, I was a bit haphazard maybe in my you know uh, observation, sort of saying that I don't think we're a playoff team. Uh, I still don't think we're at that standard yet. But maybe that's just because I see the Eastern Conference as being a little bit better than it is, and maybe that Detroit, Charlotte, those teams that you were mentioning, I think have. You know, a little bit more star talent, but plenty can change. Yeah, Karis Levert watching, uh, obviously, he put that up on Instagram story. Good to see he's still buying it. He'll be back sooner rather than later. We've obviously, you know, updated you guys with his sort of standard and where he's at. So it's it's good to see, Nick. And, you know, everyone's buying in. The Nets could be on the playoff race soon. Um, I might have to eat my own words. Yeah, I think one real factor, and this is not something we expected to see, is the growth of Rodion's. Like, he could actually have a big impact. It's not like he's going to be some dominant player 30 minutes and averaging crazy numbers. But sometimes it's just a small piece to add the energy, playing with the depth. And also Alan Crabb playing like a really good player. You know, that's not something we've actually seen. I think I, I just looked up the numbers prior to the game. I want to prior to the show, I want to say he's 13 to 21 from three over his last three games. Yeah, I think in the last, in the longest stretch, I think it was 13 or 14 games, he's been in like 42 or 43%. So, you know, Alan Crabbe continues to sort of, you know, re-establish his value within the net system. And, you know, we sort of talked about him in, in the trailer a bit there, but he's super duper important in terms of what we do offensively, him and Joe Harris, our best three-point shooters. So with Alan Crabbe performing, you're generally going to see the Nets winning more games than not. Yeah, he went from being literally a back-end player, you know, your 13th guy on the 13th, 14th, 15th guy in the team to being an above-average starter when he's knocking down shots like this. Absolutely. One of the best three-point shooters in the league. But, uh, Nick, uh, excited for Nets games going forward because how, how long do you see this streak lasting, possibly, if you do have the schedule in front of you? I actually do have the schedule. You know, luckily, opening night, they hit me with a little poster schedule I have above my computer. So yes, <laughs> I got we got Washington on Friday. Atlanta on Sunday, then we have the Lakers in Chicago. I mean, I think Washington Atlanta is definitely winnable at a five game winning streak. You know, beating the Lakers is possible, but um, it's going to be tough always when you face LeBron. He always seems to play well at Barclays, but they could bounce back the following night in Chicago. So, if yeah. they with this next stretch, three and one or four and oh, would be outstanding. It'd be absolutely insane. And, you know, seven game winning streak, six or seven, you know, any of those sort of things, you know, generally. You need to have those mini streaks throughout the season to give yourself a real chance. And, you know, a, a lot can happen in a couple of games in the NBA, you know, in either conference. You know, you look what's happening in the West right now with how deep that is, you know, one through 14, essentially. But, you know, if the Nets are around that sort of range, Detroit, like you said, you know, drop a couple, uh, I, I think anything can happen. You know, I want to obviously get bragging rights over my boy Nick because the Wizards had us last time, but we'll have to wait and see. And hopefully John Wall and Bradley Beal aren't at their best. 
Yeah, hopefully they get into a little argument before the game. But uh, that yeah. wraps it up. Jack, always a pleasure. You can catch out the buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, uh, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.